I'm Dan Carell, CEO of the Digital Commerce Alliance, and this is Commerce Code, a bi-weekly digital commerce podcast for leaders in card linking, loyalty and digital marketing, mobile wallets and payments, and financial data. Thanks for joining this running conversation with leaders in the industry. And if you like this podcast, come join us at a Digital Commerce Alliance event. You can learn more at www.digcomall.org. This week, I'm talking with Jeff Zilberman, Alexis Wiktorsky, and Serge Berg of BN, an Augeo company. BN uses AI to help brands enable employees and customers to be effective advocates for their brands. Their tools make it easy for brand advocates to create social media content, and they also make it easy for the companies to manage the risks that come along with widespread grassroots social media brand advocacy. Today, we're having a conversation about what's new in 2024, the total brand advocacy opportunity. So what can grassroots social media do for companies? Brand advocacy horror stories. And then finally, how companies can get their brand advocacy strategy started. Stay tuned for a deep dive into brand advocacy in 2024 with BN. This episode of Commerce Code is brought to you by BN, an Augeo company, a global leader in AI-driven social technologies that revolutionize global audience engagement, empowering organizations to deliver unrivaled brand experiences through authentic, scalable solutions. Backed by Augeo, with more than 45 years of experience, BN empowers Fortune 500 companies to deliver extraordinary brand experiences for employees, consumers, channel partners, members, and subscribers. BN, igniting social revolution. Serge, Alexis, and Jeff, thank you so much for joining us on Commerce Code. We've been looking forward to this episode for quite a while. Super interesting stuff. But before we dive into the substance, we'd love to just get a quick intro from each of you. Dan, thanks so much for having us on the show. My name is Serge. I'm the Director of Influencer Marketing and Community Management, which is kind of a mouthful. And essentially, that means I lean into the space as a SME, the subject matter expert in a lot of things, influencer marketing. But I also help make sure that our team understands not just how to use the tool, but how to equip all of our clients' user base, all their employees, their advocates to use our tools as well. I'm Alexis Wachorski. I'm a director on the client solutions team, and I help with onboarding and scaling new clients and ensuring their program is successful throughout each stage. And hello, Dan. I'm Jeff Zilberman. I'm the VP of client solutions at BN. So I oversee our enterprise partnerships and program enablement. Fortunate to work with enterprises to help them figure out how to enable their employee advocates and then oversee the team that makes the magic happen behind the scenes to make it successful. Terrific. Well, look, thanks for the, to the three of you for joining us. I think since the first time I had conversations with your team at BN about employee advocacy, I've found it provocative and exciting, but also something where I could feel the challenges, the risks, the, you know, like this is a, this is a high opportunity space, but it's, it's complicated and it requires some real expertise. So totally excited to have the three of you on to bring that expertise to the conversation. As we sit here, I just want to start here, here with where we're at. We're a month into 2024, you know, you're in a very fast moving industry. Any surprises yet this year? What's, what's new? It is moving faster than 
ever. I'll take a step back. The conversations we had a year ago or even two years ago was mostly around education to enable enterprises of like, how do you work with your employees? How do you make them front and center and really the star of your content and like what that even means? Fast forward today, every enterprise understands what employee advocacy is and they know they need to do it, but they just have no idea how to get started and are overwhelmed. And that's really the conversations we're having and trying to to guide them, to help them, you know, figure out to take a small chunk out of this big complex program and not get overwhelmed and help them in kind of a simple and brand safe way to tap into their employees to tell that brand story and enable them across social channels. The image that comes to mind is the the typical, let's just say typical company in 2023 was rolling around the tarmac, realizing that at some point they needed to take off with employee advocacy. Now they're at the uh, end of the runway staring at, you know, a long open space and going, okay, I guess we need to gun it. But they, they don't totally know what to what to do. Is that is that fair? That's spot on, Dan. So what do you expect for the rest of 2024? I mean, obviously, you're going to have companies that you work with that are what, 10,000 feet already. And those that, you know, are still maybe not on the train yet. But what do you think the rest of 2024 kind of holds in this space? What do you expect is going to be happening in employee advocacy this year? It's going to be an exciting year for employee advocacy. And I think it's where it's really going to be put on the map and part of most major enterprises marketing strategy. The most common use case that we've seen is just enabling simple sharing, right? So you have a very templated script that comes from, you know, your corporate communications or marketing teams, and then your employees can share that. And that's kind of the first step into this avenue. We see a lot of brands expanding beyond that to give more autonomy, let that creative outlet while having kind of that oversight and brand safety and compliance there to ensure that they can do it in a safe and effective way and really take advantage of that power of their employees. I think that when brands start to think about incorporating a brand advocacy program, it's not thinking of it as like its own separate initiative or tactic that you're implementing, it really does fit into all aspects of your marketing strategy. And there's ways that brand advocacy and that authentic voice can be incorporated into each different, you know, business unit within your company as well. And that's part of, you know, the beauty of authentic voices and capturing it and incorporating it into all aspects so that people are getting that genuine voice shared versus, you know, having it be a professional content or something like that. It's leaning into your employees and your customers to share their stories versus, you know, it being pre-curated. If I'm an oldest, imagine me, Alexis, to be the oldest of old school marketing guys. I guess I'll say it that way because maybe just to fill out the stereotype. How uncomfortable am I with this, right? Because you must experience some, you know, the idea that it's not scripted, it's not curated, it's not coming from, you know, kind of a professional source, right? You can't control, well, a lot of stuff. And of course, what you guys are delivering is the ability to create quality out of what maybe some like the oldest school guy like me thinks is chaos. But what's the what's the fear? You know, what what do you run into in terms of people going like, whoa, wait a second. I love that question. We get that a lot. You know, that obviously is a fear. There's different levels of social skills when you're talking to any brand. You're going to have people that are super comfortable posting online. They are super creative. They know how to 
generate content that's going to, you know, have a lot of engagement or capture some attention. And then you have others that, you know, want to post online, but they have no idea where to get started. And I think that our tools and strategies that we implement and our support team that we have really guide people into becoming comfortable, not only with the tool itself, but also posting online and creating content that's engaging and quality. So we can really help with all those different levels of skill sets. So you have some people that are going to lean more into, you know, templates or just reshares, like Jeff was saying, just like the basics. And then as they start to get comfortable with that, we start giving them, you know, more flexibility and more autonomy to start to create their own posts with prompts and guides and eventually get to the point where, you know, they get a brief and they're able to just run with it and share their authentic voice on their own. So I don't think that that is a concern on our end at all. Actually, we we love that because we are used to helping people that, you know, are actually content creators and they have the skill set and they have, you know, a huge following and we can help them in different ways. And then we have people that we're literally helping to create a Facebook page. I dove right in with like what's happened so far in 2024. What, where are we going? But let's elevate a little bit and say, OK, so for the people like, let's say me, who are a little less up to date on brand advocacy. Serge, I'd love for you to kind of talk to us about what brand advocacy kind of is. It's an increasing component of the marketing ecosystem. We've already we've already hit that. And it's it's the podcast is the perfect safe place in the privacy of your own car while commuting to work or whatever for you to learn about something that you've been pretending that you already knew. So Serge, can you talk to us about like what is this? Can you define what it is and help listeners who maybe haven't been so current on it know like what's what is this thing and what's the potential? Dan, you you hit it on the head. We've we've seen a lot of things already uh, in this conversation around employee advocacy or brand advocacy or how they can jump in in social media or whether it's just social skills in general like you're talking about in the context obviously here we are talking about using those social skills in the social platforms and there's a lot of variables to different types of platforms that are out there entertainment usage and different pieces like that but in the simplest forms as far as if we're talking about brand advocacy it's simply individuals that are promoting and selling the brand. And of course, if we're shifting that out to employee advocacy, then it's going to be employees specifically promoting or selling their, their company their or the brand that they're pushing. And so for us, we're passionate about figuring out what level are you in? And, and I loved your analogy already talking about the planes, you know, on the runway. And we've seen a lot of different clients at this stage. We've been doing this now for several years, which is crazy to think that we're already into this several years and knowing that there are people, to your point, that, that are not even taxiing to the runway yet. They know there's something out there that they need to engage with, but they're not really sure how to get started. In fact, we, we see brands where they have their influencers, their employees, their nano influencers, as we like to say, they're already at the gate. They want to get on board. But the the company itself, not to beat this dead horse, the plane doesn't know whether or not they want to let them on the plane to get this thing started. And at the same time, we have brands right now that are in the air, the 10,000 feet, and they hit some turbulence and they go, oh my, and things are concerning. And that's where we really found some sweet spots for what we're providing right now in this space of going, we've had the range of client at this point, and we've got excitement in and around helping them understand how to use the tool in a really safe way that, that provides some guardrails, but yet still gives the creativity back to the employee. 
among my sources of secret shame is that I'm a lawyer by training, although I haven't practiced law for a very long time. But I, you know, I hear you, you know, the business person, this is maybe why I'm not uh, practicing. The business person, I think, looks at this whole thing and goes, holy cow, like, the potential here is colossal, right? We have this latent capability in our employee base, but in our fan base and our customer base, all these different ways that, but we need to, you know, all we need to do is figure out how to just harness it and then boom, there we go. So that that's the, the upside. The lawyer conversation is 98%. Holy cow, all the crazy stuff they could do wrong. If we let these people on the plane, they're going to be having a drunken party at 20,000 feet and it's going to be terrible and all that stuff, right? So that's the, that's the other thing. So there is risk. To me, it's just obvious that the upside exceeds the downside, but you got to manage both. And so I'd be really interested to kind of hear from from you guys, what's some of the challenges you've seen? What are some of the worst things you've seen? Because the whole point, I think, of what you're doing is you're not just cutting people completely loose to do whatever they want. That is the point. But there certainly have been problems out there in the world. And I'd love to hear a little bit about like, how do they happen? What are some examples? Oh man, Dan, we're, we're going to have some fun with, with this one. We've, we've certainly seen some nightmare scenarios for brands out there in this space. And, and as you said, fortunately, the reward outweighs the, the risk, but certainly in the early days and without certain guardrails in place, we've seen some fun examples. I'll share one. Uh, we saw this with a retailer and it was the holiday season. They had Santa in their store and their employee uh, was attempting to create a wonderful post to highlight Santa being there and his helpers. He's on his mobile. He's moving quickly and probably has, you know, 20 tasks going at once. So he quickly types it in and made a fatal spelling error. Instead of writing Santa and his helpers, uh, he wrote Santa and his herpes. Uh, And as you can imagine, absolute PR nightmare it went viral and was just not a good situation for this brand in his defense and i have no idea who this person was obviously but that might have been a combo i'm literally looking at my keyboard as you're doing this and going how do you get from one to the other and it's like yep i could see that how that would happen but he may have had an assist from autocorrect i think absolutely totally innocent mistake you know not the intention (laughs) of the employee in an unfortunate outcome and jeff that's crazy and terrifying from the perspective of the brand, right? Dan, this is Serge, and I'm just saying, I can't believe this is the first example that Jeff led with. <laughs> there are so many different ones that we've seen. Uh, this one's this one's incredible, but this is one that thankfully had a great solution. And so I'm gonna give it back to Jeff, but my goodness, we just changed. The, I don't know if this is what your viewers are used to. It is, it is for sure the first time that herpes has come up on Commerce Code, um, and probably the last, but yes, yeah, Serge, for sure. Dan, I apologize to you and, and, and the <laughs> listeners. Hopefully that wasn't too far and I'm allowed back in the, the future. But luckily the story has a, a happy ending. Um, and I'd love to talk about how to avoid that in the future because terrifying for the brand and even more terrifying for the employee who is just trying to do his job and the right thing. Fast forward today with, with these programs and sophisticated tools, there's a layer of AI that's automatically monitoring whether that's natural language processing, video and image recognition. So if there's anything there at all in your content that is risky, not brand safe, not following your guidelines or the general direction that you want for a voice and tone, it will automatically block 
that post from publishing, it'll alert the person that's creating the content why it was blocked and how to change it and ensure that they can make the appropriate corrections and then get out what was intended, which is a great post, awesome for the brand, engaging for the audience and the community, and going to drive foot traffic and sales for that retailer. I mean, and Santa's going to breathe a lot easier when the test results come back totally different the second time. <laughs> um, so yeah. Hey, Alexis, I know you've got some stuff too. Yeah, I, I'm going to go with Sherwin-Williams. This was, I think, back in like 2020. Tony was a senior at the Ohio University, and he was working part-time at Sherwin-Williams. And he went viral on TikTok, creating a bunch of videos of him mixing paint. Made a ton of videos, had a ton of followers, got a ton of engagements, really enjoyed making these videos. And he, I guess he like went to his marketing department and put together this whole pitch for, you know, how they could utilize, you know, what he's built on TikTok and social media. And they just, you know, didn't want to hear anything about it. And then flash forward, he ended up getting fired for, you know, his TikToks that he had on there because there was a customer complaint. And Sherwin Williams actually received a ton of backlash from people, especially marketers, you know, instead of them harnessing and capitalizing on what Tony has built online and his presence, they just, you know, fired him and shot it down. So this also has a good outcome. Tony found a really great job where he could continue mixing paints for a different company. I think the biggest miss here was for Sherwin Williams. They just kind of jumped to, oh my gosh, this person's making content on TikTok, you know, we have no control over it. And they just squashed it and shot it down versus, you know, really embracing and capitalizing on the fact that people, you know, their employees are posting about their brand. And honestly, I feel like that's like the hardest part is just getting people to post. So if they're already posting out there, why not capitalize on the fact that they're already sharing their authentic voice and you can help guide them into sharing specific content that supports your brand. Yeah, as I've already admitted to you guys, I've spent much of my career hanging out with with lawyers, including in-house lawyers. And it like to me, it I, I complete I know the kinds of people who would just be like, absolutely not, right? This is done, you know, fire the guy, whatever. And so the culture shift, I think, in organizations is a big thing and it'll take some time. So how do you how do you, I mean, very often culture shifts can, can be facilitated by, you know, outside parties, companies that have the expertise, they come and say, like, we know how to do this. And so how do you work with brands to help them to kind of shift their attitude and their, and their execution, you know, to be able to show the people inside organizations, like, look, we know there's risks. Here's how we manage it. Like, how do you do that? I think culture shift is spot on where it's changing your guidelines and social media policy at your brand. A lot of them may have, you're not allowed to be in social media during work, or you're not allowed to post about work on your personal social media. It's evolving that to enable and accept it. We see that 50% of employees talk about work on their personal social media. So for a brand to be able to harness and capitalize on that and enable it. It's going to happen whether you enable it or not. So you might as well help put some guardrails around it and truly elevate your employees and let them show their personality and show the real work culture across their social handles. Just to jump in real quick, I think that at the end of the day, social media is not going away. Like you said, it's going to be here forever. It's the new thing. Everyone wants to be an influencer, micro influencer. So it's 
more so helping brands to feel comfortable with that and that strategy for how do they utilize this in a brand safe way. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. I was sitting here thinking, Alexis, that if you imagine a decision, so to speak, taking place inside a company of, you know, do we want our brand to be present in social media? It's an illusory question. It's not a real question. The answer is, well, it is. And so the question is not, do you want it to be there? The question is, how are you going to best manage it? Is it going to be an asset or a liability? You know, are you going to turn that potential energy into something terrific? Or are you going to try and sort of beat it back and, and fire the people who make really popular videos, which seems like a, a strange outcome? Exactly. Commerce Code is brought to you in part by Vantage Score. Nine of the top 10 banks and over 3,000 leading banks and fintechs use Vantage Score to predict and manage repayment risk. Learn more about the latest advances in credit scoring and how to grow your lending business by leveraging financial inclusion at VantageScore.com. Serge, I know you've had some uh, interesting stories and experiences on this too. Absolutely. And across the board, obviously, we're in a shared space where we see some of these different examples pop up quite a bit. The, the Sherman-William ones that we just covered is is almost a master's class in just a lot of layers of things that we can see and do differently moving forward. Of course, one of the things that we didn't really talk about some of the, the gritty details here, but like for a long time, I think it was something like two months later after they terminated that specific employee Every single post that Sherman Williams made, the comments were filled with bring back Tony. I wish that you had this employee back, et cetera, so forth. So they were getting some traction, which is actually a good thing, but obviously the wrong kind of traction. And one of the things that, that happened in that particular story that I just want to throw out there before thinking of another example is just the fact that Tony was able to get a job with another paint company, as Alexis had mentioned, but that they embraced the social media presence that he had. And so he was able to then promote that brand. So kudos to the brand that jumped in, I think it was like Florida Paints, that was able to go, hey, we want you to have this space. They saw an opportunity and they made it happen. And then fast forward even to today where Tony has his own paint company, uh, Tonester Paints. I don't know we give him the shout out. I think it's important as we're talking about his example or his story. That's super exciting to see how the influencer in the end of the day didn't win at that on that day, if you will. But in as it continued to play out in his story is probably living the, his best life or the life that he really wanted in the first place today. I think he talks a lot about that in his content that he creates. So to me, there's a lot of different spaces where we see the, the brand advocacy could have done something differently, could have made it in a way that would have really highlighted their employee. And by, by the way, for listeners, if you just Google Tony TikTok, Sherwin-Williams, you're going to get a PR Daily uh, article that lays it out because I just did it. And it you know it very quickly uh, articulates this. I mean, the, the power is this is the thing that is such a weird inversion, especially uh, imagining a, a company that really granted that they've been a, a household name for so long, but you know, they are a manufacturing company, right? Like they have deep old roots. And so to, to the point about culture shift, that's one thing. The other thing is just the power inversion, the idea that the real power sits in the hands of an individual who happens to be really creative and artful in the way that they make videos on their phone. I mean, that is pretty hard for a lot of senior executives to wrap their head around. You're exactly right. And, and I think the typical response is kind of the example that I'm thinking right now, because we saw actually Sherman Williams kind of take this page out of this notebook where they 
then went to, okay, we've got to create a kind of the, the old school conversation of PR nightmare. How do we turn this boat around? And another company has recently done this and taken some pretty interesting fire. And that's Stanley Cups. Of course, everybody knows Stanley right now. They've reinvented themselves with a brand new cup that is by far the biggest fad, probably in the late 2023, early 2024, where they're just selling out all over the place. Every, you know, my, I've got teenage daughters. They need this cup for whatever reason. Maybe it makes them drink more water. Maybe it, I don't know. But here's what I know. What was interesting in my space where we're looking at this from a, you know, brand advocacy thought process is that Stanley recently had all of a sudden this incredible lift in posts around how great their product is and how that product does XYZ. Keeps my water cold, it puts it on hand, but all of a sudden individual social media people out in the space started noticing the same verbiage in multiple posts from different people. And shortly thereafter, somebody actually puts it all together and sees it's actually the exact same verbiage. The same script has been used in countless individuals' posts. So we find out Stanley actually started paying influencers to, here's your script, go share this copy on these posts or wherever you post, whether that's LinkedIn or Facebook or Instagram, you can find them on literally every single social platform. But they're paying influencers to go create that content, but not just any content, this specific content. And that's where we as a society go, hold on, that doesn't look right. And the reality is people today are tired of celebrities telling them what to buy and not to buy or what brands they they should you know have on their back. Instead, they want to be a part of the movement. They want to be a part of the conversation. And I think that's one of the things that with Stanley in particular was kind of a nightmare in that here lately, even though they're still selling their product, people are realizing that a lot of the fuss, a lot of the words that are out in social, maybe all it was all paid influencers to begin with. And I think that creates an interesting conversation for us in this exact same space. I expect that intuition and that problem to absolutely continue and to elevate for a lot of reasons so that people will react negatively to that kind of a thing. Thing two is, again, to take a step back and think about the shift, the mental shift for senior executives, the idea that message control can be damaging to your company is also not totally intuitive, right? Like we get it, right? When you see the whole story, but you know, the intuition is to say, hey, we got to control this message. So number one, we're not going to let the person on the plane. Then we let them on the plane and we say, okay, well, we'll let them on the plane kind of, but let's just make sure that it's like completely controlled, right? And, um, and that's a problem too, because there's a problem of authenticity. Uh, so, you know, it's tough, right? It's you're sailing between the Scylla and Charybdis here to try and just get it, get it just so. And I love those stories. And by the way, for listeners, again, since now I'm just giving you Google advice, if you Google Stanley Cup, you're not going to get that thing. You're going to get a hockey thing. Uh, but because uh, I just did it, but you're good. But it's what Stanley Tumblr, or I think it called. I haven't gotten one of these yet. I haven't even seen them because they're like famously hard to get. I'm told. I mean, that's part of the mystique, I guess. I'm not really sure. But in any event, I understand they're enormous. And if you drank all the water, you'd probably be unable to move for quite a while. Is this true? <laughs> I think that's exactly right. Like I said, we have now, unfortunately, a half a dozen of them in my home. Oh my and it's been interesting because I have two older teenagers that are now, you know, native in the social media platforms. They love Instagram and being on that space. And this particular conversation is super interesting because now teenagers are battling out what is cool, but at the same time, what becomes in their term cringe 
at the moment where this is very cringy. So now some of this social media posts that they're seeing and the content around the Stanley Tumblr or the Stanley Cups are becoming very cringe in that now teens are kind of pushing back on it. So it's going to be interesting. Like we're we're right now talking in early 2024. It's going to be super interesting to see how it plays out the rest of this year. If they bounce back, if that actually continues to create some kind of ripple, because in my my perspective is it's very old mindset. As you kind of mentioned, again, they we get them on the plane and then we kind of tell them, no, you seem to sit down and you know, shut up for lack of better, you know, example, except for this specific script. Uh, We called this, you know, that was kind of old school castle or kingdom mindset where the king tells you what you can say. But the world now exists where we want to be crowd. We want to crowd source our conversations. We want to be a part of the conversation and help those things move forward. And I think that's the real sweet spot for what we're trying to create in the conversation of brand advocacy is empower your people to find their unique authentic voice don't just tell them what to say give them some you know ideas some maybe even some guardrails on things that you should or shouldn't do but at the end of the day open up their creativity and you're going to have better content than any agency could ever come up with or provide well it's just in the same i mean in a sense analogous to you know say what you will about wikipedia it is it is the king of information of that kind, right? And there's no, all the studies have confirmed it. Like you unleash a large group of people with a process. And that's the thing, right? Wikipedia has a process and a system. And if it didn't, it'd be garbage. With a process, you unleash enough people, you're going to have something, as you said, way better than you could ever generate um, in a one-off thing. I'm still worried about, I'm very concerned now about the, what is effectively the kind of financial market in your, in your household surge, because your daughters are going to need to get those puppies on eBay just before the cringe, right? Cause I mean, if it, if you have a cringe moment, it's just boom, there you go. And I've, I'm sure you've got several thousand dollars invested in these things at this point. You want to offload those things before they become uncool. I will, we will definitely take a look at that for sure. <laughs> I think you got, you're onto something. You know what we've talked about some of the problems, but maybe just a quick opinion from from any of you, I guess. Which is, you know, what's the what's the best thing you've seen companies get out of brand advocacy, and and so that there's one, and then I'll say I, I kind of want to wrap it with back to the company that's sitting there. The senior executives have just rolled up to the beginning part of the runway, and they're a little terrified, and they want to know what to do next. But I would just love to get a what's the best thing, kind of things you've seen happen with companies on brand advocacy. I personally love seeing when brands have a really strong social media presence and they're leaning into, you know, trends that are going around or allowing this authentic content to be seen or produced on their behalf. I think that you're meeting the consumer where they're at, which is on social media, and you're speaking, you know, sort of like their same language when you're playing into the same trends and stuff. I think that that resonates more. And if you're not doing that, it just becomes noise. And, you know, you're just aimlessly scrolling through things and you see the same post or the same type of content over and over again. It's really what makes you stop and, you know, watch something or engage with something is that authentic content now. So I love when brands play into the trends and play into what's going on on social media, because that's where I'm at. That's where I know that a lot of consumers are at. And if they have a space in there, like search that they're not cringe They're they're trendy though. (laughs) I think the history of business innovation is full of examples where customers use something differently and in a sense, educate the company about the real potential of a product. Right. And so there's also to me, an aspect of 
you know, if you open up that channel, the company is going to learn what they really have on their hands in some cases that they maybe never knew before. Dan, you're 100% right here. The amount of companies that may have no idea that it's already happened. There's already this subculture that's probably happening with their employees in these spaces is quite a bit. So the real conversation is, are you going to continue to turn that blind eye to the subculture that's already been created within your own brand? Or you can unleash that group to do something really powerful and effective. I'm in this space where I deal with, again, I'm talking about teenagers again so many times. Teenagers have created this subculture even within their own social media because they know that their parents or or former, you know, future employees or coaches or different things like that are looking at their content. So now they create sub threads to just close friends that can see their content. Well, that's happening for brands. Brands have employees out there in real time going live at their jobs, whether that's a barista or whether that's a bakery, you know, employee or whatever that looks like, they're live on social media already. But right now it's the wild west because we're just letting them be. The brands have to step up and go, there's an untapped resource here that would not only be super powerful for our brand, maybe even, you know, financially a great option as well. But here's the big thing. It actually probably would be beneficial to help create some of those guardrails to, to not make it the Wild West, but instead give it from real specific direction, but still allow that creativity. Like I'm all for really empowering the frontline employee to have a voice. And we want to be that megaphone for them to help that brand scream the message they're passionate about already. When I think of the power of brand advocacy and the benefits to a brand, I love using the example of if you're online shopping and, you know, say there's a piece of clothing and you're flipping through and you see, you know, the professional photos of the model and the article of clothing and you're like, okay, that doesn't look anything like me. That's not going to look like me at all. And then you go to the reviews and you see that like authentic photo that somebody posted of how it actually looks on a real human. And it's so much more impactful and it makes me want to buy that article of clothing because I can resonate with it. I look like that person. I'm not, you know, the professional model or anything. So I think that if brands understand that, then that really is the first step in unlocking, you know, what brand advocacy could do for your company. I think as we've talked through this, and that's a great example, there's nothing more powerful in terms of driving people's behavior than the testimony, if you will, of a peer. Okay, so we've got, you know, senior executive team, they're, they're like, okay, we're going to do this thing. We're all in the cockpit. We're staring down the runway. How do we get started on brand advocacy? In short, just start small, right? There's so many different facets and aspects of this, but just start small, target a group of 15, 20 employees that you want to test this with, understand kind of what kind of content they create, what type of impact it can make for your brand. And then use that to be able to create your roadmap and strategy to scale and, and find the right partner, someone that's not only going to have the technology that's going to enable you to effectively and efficiently scale your employee voice, but also have that strategic planning to help you figure out how do you mold this specifically for your organization your marketing goals and truly make it effective, impactful, and measurable. And we hope that's Brand Networks. Uh, we'd love to talk to any aspiring brands that want to learn more and want to know where to start, but certainly it's a great time to do it. And as long as you start small, test and learn, it could be a really powerful tool for your organization. 
That's great. The start small thing, and we haven't talked about that yet, strikes me as so right and also helpful in shifting the culture of, uh, you know, and, and putting people at ease. This is not a giant switch that they have to throw all at once, right? This is a dimmer switch and they can, you know, you can pull the thing up slowly. And that, and that makes a ton of sense, right? To have a learning loop and to have some reps to figure out what works, what doesn't for your company, for your brand, and then to build it over time. But there is there is that huge power there when, when you get the dimmer switch up higher and higher. Uh, you can just take it, take it in increments. Look, thanks to the three of you for a lot of your time this afternoon. I really appreciate it. This is, a, I think, just one of the most powerful areas of, as I've said, a, you know, potential energy in the economy right now for companies to tap and uh, excited about what you're doing at BN. And so we look forward to seeing uh, kind of news from you and tracking on Commerce Code what happens across the remainder of 2024. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks yeah. for having us. Thanks. Commerce Code is sponsored by Pentadata, the all-in-one financial data API. Whether it is bank account data, credit card transaction data, or credit reports and credit scores, Pentadata has it all in one simple and easy-to-use API. With coverage of over 6,000 banks, over 200 million credit files, and 60 million merchants, you can get all the data you need for your apps at pentadatainc.com. I'm still thinking about the conversation with Jeff, Alexis, and Serge. And in particular, I'm thinking about how organizations learn. The obvious thing about brand advocacy is that it promotes the brand on a big global platform. Somewhat less obvious things are the following factors. One, social proof. As Alexis was talking about, you know, testimony from a peer, someone you know or someone you don't. But a real person is is certainly the most compelling kind of marketing. We've known this for a long time. Second, dynamism. The message can evolve as customer needs evolve and the product can essentially become something different. Even if it stays the same, people start to use it in a different way and the message gets out. Creativity. Most brand advocates won't have the perfect way to describe a product or show it in action, but a crowd or possibly a huge mob of brand advocates will collectively figure it out and be creative with it in a way that a small group of even the most creative people would never get to. This is kind of like the Wikipedia example. And then reach, of course, the message naturally reaches the segments that are interested. We don't have to sit and guess where to send the messages, what segment to try and hit. They just get there through social media algorithms. So those are some factors about brand advocacy that are powerful, but I wanted to talk about learning which is perhaps an even less obvious thing. Social media creates information flows in all directions, and arguably the most critical direction is from customers and employees back into the company. Let me just describe a traditional method of innovation, which those of us who are a little bit older will have lived through in the first decade of our career. It's sort of a one-way development of product, and very often, I mean, more often than not, honestly, um, retraction or death or quiet dismissal of the product. So Dan's Donuts has a CEO. His name is Dan. He likes donuts. Dan has an idea for a new product, donuts that look exactly like hockey pucks, uh, right down to the little stamp on the side, which if you know, you know, uh, says either made in Canada or made in Slovakia. In the old days, it used to say Czechoslovakia. But anyway, that's a longer story. So and then there's a little bit. Well, OK, I won't get into what the donuts look like exactly, but they look just like a hockey puck. Amazing marketing perfect for hockey fans. What could go wrong? Dan vets the idea internally with distributors, some retailers. 
they seem not opposed to it. They've never seen it. They're just reacting to the idea. Dan says, sweet, let's roll it out. Dan's employees have like a half dozen reasons why this new product is not going to work. But they keep their mouths shut because life's too short to nitpick every dumb idea coming from Dan. The product gets rolled out. Some customers, of course, love it, think it's the greatest thing they've ever seen. Many are indifferent. It's a mixed sales thing. It limps along, kind of expensive to make, not that profitable. Eh, it gets discontinued. Dan is sad. Customer and employee brand advocacy creates immediate feedback loops back to the company. And in many cases, the most important thing is that the company can learn better. So Hockey Puck Donuts are going to have a rabid fan base, but you need to figure out how to get to those particular people because most people probably don't want them. You're never going to figure that out in a conference room. Brand advocates will tell you in a video on Instagram why they like them and what they're used for. Uh, team parties or parents watching hockey or whatever. Some hockey mom is going to make videos about these because what else are you going to do for six hours on Saturday morning in Fargo at a hockey tournament? So her story is going to help figure out how to sell these things and possibly even how to make them better. Maybe they aren't sold in every Dan's Donut store. Maybe they're special order only, but you're doing hockey tournaments with an average order size of 500 or 1,000 or 5,000. Maybe instead you need to do team-specific hockey puck decorations so you're only selling 20 at a time, but they're like five bucks each at a 50% margin because of the special artwork. In the old business environment, you were shooting in the dark. You're arguing about market approach and then just taking a shot. Embracing brand advocacy at that social media grassroots level, it isn't about getting over the risk of letting people talk about your products online, because here's the thing, people are talking about your products online. It's about leaning into listening to what people say and then iterating and changing the product itself as a result. For the record, I'm not giving up on the hockey puck donut dream. Hockey and donuts form a Venn diagram of my two primary love languages, and I believe that they are going to be huge. We just need to let some hockey moms in Fargo loose on Instagram with about three dozen of those beauties, eh? Commerce Code is a bi-weekly podcast bringing you conversations with executives who are leading the way in digital commerce. If you like Commerce Code, your company should join the Digital Commerce Alliance and become part of our mission of advancing trade for good through standard setting, industry networking, conferences, and best practice sharing. Check out our website at www.digcomall.org. On behalf of DCA, have a great week.